0: The scripture this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. As to one abnormally born. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Inside of the announcement sheet, you'll find an outline that you can use as we go through the message this morning. And uh, because of the, uh, the the recognition this morning, we... Uh, are not going to go through this entire message this morning. We're basically going to go through about half of it, and then the other half we're going to consider tonight. And, and what we're doing is getting back, after our study of Romans this last weekend with Dr. Nickham, we are getting back into our theme month and talking about what it means for our church to be like that light that is set on a hill that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. And our theme this year is City Lights, and we go into this city with a message and with a ministry and and, uh, and with, a, uh, with a, a worship-filled heart recognizing that God is above all things. And uh, before we get into the message this morning talking about the Gospel, let's ask God to bless us as we bow our heads and join our hearts and pray to Him. Father, we're so moved. Every time you draw us into the cross and we are reminded father of the of the great sacrifice of of what great cost the price that it took for us to be completely redeemed and and saved and adopted and for your spirit to be able to come into us father and for us to be able to to call you father to to call you abba father and to know that that is at the very center of of the facts that formed the foundation for our faith. We're grateful for these things, Father, and we pray that You increase our faith. That You increase our faith as we understand what the Gospel is all about. That You increase our faith when You give us opportunities, Father, to show the greatness of the Gospel in the things that we do in this community and in this city and in this world. And that, Father, You increase our faith when it comes to worshiping You and showing You to be the supreme value of all of the universe to us. And so as we we think about the Gospel this morning, Father, and the way that Scripture has revealed it to us, we're asking that You give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And that we are changed, Father, and that we turn toward You in all of life, in every moment, in every circumstance, every situation that we find ourselves And seek to bring you glory, Father, as we shine as a light in this community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone knows the idiom in a nutshell. It means to compress something or to say something in such a concise way that you're using really as as few words as possible. We say things like, I missed the, the group meeting, but can you give me the report in a nutshell? Meaning, I don't want the whole kit and caboodle. I just want it in a, a, the smallest piece possible. Or when a, a child comes in and says, you know, there's an issue, you say, well, give me the problem in a nutshell. And the idea is, you know, don't, you know, don't go into the, the details as much as cut to the chase and tell me what it's all about. And we, we know what the idiom means, but we do we know where it originated? There was a fellow by the name of Pliny the Elder that in AD 77 wrote this book called Natural History. And in it, he talks about another fellow by the name of Cicero who said that he actually saw with his eyes Homer's Iliad, which if you think about it in modern terms, if you have a copy of the Iliad at your house, you know it's a really thick book. In A4 text, modern text, it's 700 pages. That he had seen it, and now this is AD this is 2,000 years ago basically, that Cicero had seen the entire Homer's Iliad written on, all 700 pages of it, written on a piece of parchment so small that it could fit in a nutshell. Now, that is micro-miniaturization at its best in the primitive world. Now, I don't know if it's true or not. I've not seen it. But this guy, Cicero, said that he also knew a guy that could see 135 miles, which is the distance from San Antonio to Temple, Texas. Can you imagine? You're out there on the sidewalk, uh, and he says, Hey, I see your dog walking across the street in Temple, Texas. I, I don't know. But here's the thing. In the nutshell means that you break something down, as complex as it might be, into as few words as possible. But here's the thing. Some things are just too complex to break down into one nutshell. What you need sometimes are multiple nutshells or a couple of nutshells to get your mind around it. I remember an interview... You know, one of the the problems we have from time to time is we only think one dimensionally when so much of life is multidimensional. I remember an interview with M. Scott Peck back in the 1980s with the old Wittenberg Door magazine. And you'll remember the name M. Scott Peck passed away about 10 years ago, but wrote some pretty influential books, The Road Less Traveled. Many people were reading that in the 1980s. He wrote a very, very good book on where the origins of evil in human beings come from, in a book called The Children of the Lie. Wrote a book called A Different Drummer, a very, very famous writer and and medical doctor in the the 1980s and the 1990s. And one of the things that he said in that interview that I've never forgotten is that as human beings, we get ourselves in trouble, or we tend to create trouble when we think about things one-dimensionally. Now, I think what he's saying is true. If you think about a wife, husbands, you think about a wife. If you only think about her as somebody that cooks. Ladies, is that thumbs up or thumbs down? Nobody likes that. Or she, My wife is the one who takes care of the kids. Or imagine it on the, on the other side of that coin, if, if the wife thinks that the husband is only a paycheck or he's the one that disciplines the kids or whatever it might be. When you think one dimensionally about anything, you get into trouble a lot of the time. And that was M Scott Peck's point. I think that's true with the gospel. What we want to do this morning is to give just and tonight is to give a couple of statements in a nutshell of what the gospel is. And I want to do that by giving you an enormous statement in my, my way of thinking that is coming out of Second, uh, uh, Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing to his young protege, a guy by the name of, of Timothy, who's out in Ephesus, and he says, verse 9, He has what? Saved us. And then secondly, called us to a uh, what? I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Now, in, in that, that verse, in that text, there's a lot of things that we need to unpack. But here's the statement that kind of summarizes all of it. The statement is this. Write it down on your outline. The Gospel of Jesus is the difference maker. The Gospel of Jesus is the difference maker. In other words, the Gospel of Jesus of Nazareth is everything. It's not just salvation but it's it's how you live your life. It's not just that you are saved and forgiven from your sins, but it's how you resolve all the problems in your life. It's not just about overcoming death sometime in the future, but having true life right now, today. It's not about human initiative, but about God's love. It's not about human achievement, but it's about God's gift. It's not that you can be saved. That's what every religion in the world teaches. That you can be saved. The gospel is that you are saved by grace. The gospel is everything. And here what we're going to do is is, is break it down in a couple of nutshells. We only have time for one this morning, and it's this. The gospel is the good news of an event in history. The gospel is the good news of an event in history. Now, one of the big mistakes that I think people make all the time is that they, they put the gospel or define the gospel or think of the gospel or somehow define it as a philosophy or a counsel or some suggestion for life. That if you do these kinds of things, then, then you're going to find some, some well-being, some state of peace, some, some well of blessing. The word gospel, the word good news is the way it's translated. It pertains to an event that has taken place. It was a word that had existed for lots of years. It had been used by by the world all over. It was a word that was the announcement of the birth of, of some great person or of a king. Some great birth. It was also a word that was used when there was news of a victory of a battle. But the Christian writers took that word and gave it a special meaning. Now, it's important for us to get this straight in our thinking. What do you think of when you think of all of the sermons in Acts? Basically, what they're doing is reciting the life of Jesus. What, what they're doing is telling you the facts of, of his life. They're, they're telling about, uh, about how he lived and, and, and what he accomplished. Paul defined the gospel that he preached in Corinth as three acts in the life of Jesus. That was from the text that Edward read just a couple of minutes ago. Do you remember what they were? They were the death, the burial, and what? The resurrection. The resurrection. Now, it's important that we understand that the gospel is an event in history that has taken place. Now, why is that important? Another statement. We are not saved by the teachings of Jesus, but by Jesus Himself. I'll say that again. We are not saved by the teachings of Jesus, but by Jesus Himself. You can live as good a life. You can be the best person in your neighborhood, the best person in your workplace when it comes to teachings. But if Jesus did not die on the cross in that substitutionary role and, 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 and take our sins upon Him so that we might get His righteousness then you're, and resurrect after that, then you're still in your sins. That's why our salvation is referred to or called a grace. All of the religions of the world teach that if you do the major teachings, the major precepts, the major ideas, or, or, the, or the major conceits behind that religion, then you'll find some kind of nirvana. It will, it will save you. That is what is at the heart of legalism, that you're trying to save yourself. Gain that merit by what you achieve, by what you do. That is found in all the religions of the world. Only in Christianity do you encounter an event A fact of history by which God has flipped the switch off on His wrath in order for a human being to receive what he cannot achieve on his own. And that was accomplished by Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus on the cross received what we deserve in order for us to receive what He deserved for His sinless life. And that's why the Bible says in places like Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then over in chapter three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all have just have are and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And even in the Old Testament, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are what? healed. You know it is such a wondrous thing to know that you're forgiven. It is a fantastic thing to know that, that all of the, uh, the, the marks on your conscience, the things that kept you up at night where you couldn't sleep because of, of, of the guilt and the remorse and, and the regret that you felt at night, all of that has been remedied by the fact that Jesus died on the cross and took all of that crime and all of that violence and all of that meanness and prejudice and bias and all of that sin, the things that you are guilty of in this world, took it on Himself. And God said that was acceptable. When he resurrected him up from the grave. And through faith, we find ourselves receiving his righteousness. And that is a changed life. Not just a, 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 a conscience that's guilty, that, that's free of the guilt of sin, but it's so thoroughly life changing that you actually become light. That's why Jesus says that you want to be his disciple, that it's like being a light that's set on a hill, regardless of, of wherever you are, where but you know wherever you might be in relation to that city, that's, you still see its light. You can't miss it. You, you can't ignore it. You see it. It becomes a beacon for a lot of people. It becomes a beacon of a direction that they're supposed to go with their own life. Everywhere you go, that's the kind of influence that you bring. That's what the Gospel does. Now, we're going to talk more about it tonight, but suffice it to say, that when God saves you, he also changes you. And part of, of that change is, is is understanding life is to be lived in a different way. And the values that you have in this life are, are different from the one that you had before that. It's not a value system or a worldview of the world, but it's a completely gospel-driven, gospel-saturated way of living and looking at the world and relating to people. And it makes you light wherever you go. It makes you light where people can see you and notice you, and then something about your life that they're interacting with tells them something great and precious and loving about God. Landon Saunders tells his story. Uh, back in the 1980s, uh, in Arizona, one, one of the, the big cities there in southern Arizona, there were two ladies up for the same job. One of them was a sister in Christ and was heavily, heavily, heavily uh, qualified for the job. It resonated was, was just fantastic. And she was super qualified for the job and pretty much in the running to get it. But there was another woman who was up for the job as well, not nearly as qualified, not nearly as, as, as uh, character developed in a good way as the, the sister in Christ. And this woman knew that. And she knew that the only way that she was ever going to be able to get that job is if she assassinated the character of the woman, our sister in Christ, assassinated her character in t- inside the company, or at least in this, in this interview process. And so that's what she did. And over the weeks of the interviewing system and and the, the the powers that be making a decision on who filled that job, she was successful, and she was the one that got promoted, and our sister in Christ was not. Well, the first thing that you think of is I got to have justice, and I've you know this was so wrong and it was so unfair, and it's got to be different, 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 diff- different. That wasn't right. She needs to do something. What our sister in Christ did on the day that her new boss the woman that had undermined her getting the job took possession of the desk in the corner office. She placed a bouquet of flowers with the note said, Congratulations on getting the job. I'm, I'm praying for your success. Call me if you ever need me. And the woman who had, had under, in an underhanded way had gotten that job, walks into the office and sees that sitting on her desk. And she grabs up that bouquet of flowers and she walks over to the desk of our sister and she just stands there. And she starts trembling, and then she starts to cry. And our sister got up from her desk and went around and put her arm around her. And nothing flashy or showy, showy, just showed some affection. And they continued their jobs throughout that day. But that began a relationship between these two women. And the next thing you know, our sister and her husband in Christ began inviting this, this young woman to their house for lunch and for dinner, and finally invited her to church and spent time with her and loved her and spent time opening up the Word of God when it was appropriate in the relationship to do so. And now in that building, there are two sisters in Christ. And that's what the Gospel does. By the way that you live your life, even when it means you suffer, and even when it means that the door that you thought you deserved having opened is not opened to you. What it means is that you make an even bigger impact on eternity. Because you're light. Because you recognize the greatness of the event on Calvary two thousand years ago when Jesus of Nazareth died. And 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 you know what it means to, to, to be able before God to say, I am a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. And, and, and to be baptized where you participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that as He died to sin, you died to sin. Your sins are being washed away. And when you are raised up, it's, it, you're being raised to newness of life, which means that you're a different individual, a different person with different values and different worldview and different ethics and different words and, 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 and a different direction and significance in life. And wherever you go, God uses you to spread the greatness and the goodness, not just of the salvation, but to the life that He's called you to live. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And if there's someone here this morning that has never given their life to Christ, we would give you that opportunity this morning to come down and to talk to our shepherds. Or if there are prayers that we need as a church to be praying for you because of something that's going on in your life then make sure that these come down to the shepherds right now as we stand and praise God together.